Hey there! Are you a crime scene investigator, law enforcement officer, or forensic scientist looking for a Facebook community that understands you? Check out Taction USA's forensic product groups. You'll find blogs, articles, information, and community. For those of us in the investigative field, there are not many lines of support out there, but Taction USA is a company that was founded by law enforcement for law enforcement. Subscribe today to get access to exclusive content. Just look for Taction USA in Facebook groups. Welcome to Crossing the Tape, your favorite true crime podcast. Please sign the crime scene log and join us. I'm one of your hosts, Hillary, and I'm joined by my husband, Brendan. And today you're here to listen to episode 25, Ruth Less. Now, in our previous episode, we talked about a fella who was a killer and who eventually had himself a girlfriend who believed he was innocent until the end, mm-hmm. and her name was Ruth Ellis. Not the same. (laughs) Different one. (laughs) Initially, we thought that was the same person, which would have been really interesting, but no. This is a. This is still interesting. Yes. Historic, too. Mm. This is a different Ruth Ellis. Now, Ruth Ellis was born Ruth Nielsen in the town of Rio, I believe it's pronounced, but what do I know? In North Wales in October of 1926. As a young girl, her family moved to England. Her mother, Elisa, was a Belgian refugee, and her father, Arthur, was a cellist by trade. However, his career didn't bring the family much in the way of wealth. Ruth, her older sister, and four younger siblings grew up poor. Arthur Nielsen had a twin brother named Charles who, in 1928, died after crashing into a lorry, Hmm. known in the U.S. as, like, a shipping truck, while riding his bicycle. Now, the loss of his twin brother took a tremendous toll on Arthur, resulting in him becoming abusive towards his children, unfortunately to include sexual abuse. Hmm. And Elisa, the mother, turned a blind eye to these actions, while Arthur focused his indecency on Muriel, the oldest of six children. Jeez. Eventually, Arthur impregnated Muriel, resulting in her having a child at age 14. And that child was raised among the other siblings, like it was just another one of the kids. Yeah. At 14, though, Muriel had already obviously already entered puberty, and Arthur lost interest in her. Hmm. Which meant, next in line, was Ruth, who became the object of his terrible desires. And Ruth spent the remainder of her childhood doing her best to fend off her father's sexual advances. After a stint in boarding school, Ruth moved to London alongside her brother's girlfriend, Edna. Her brother was away at war, hmm. <clears throat> or at least in the service, but I believe around that time. Yeah, that should was, be. Things were that. heating up in, mm-hmm. in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ruth and his girlfriend, Edna, moved to London, and the pair stayed with Arthur, who unfortunately was working as a chauffeur in London at that point. Arthur would have eventually have an affair with Edna after Ruth continued to spur his creepy advances. So mm-hmm. now he's fooling around with his son's girlfriend. Girlfriend. I don't think any of that was caused by the death of his twin brother. I really don't think that was... Yeah, I'm guessing 
he was able he, to keep all that under control. Yes, and that that's the point when he lost it and began doing these awful well, things. Forget it. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Right. <clears throat> that's how he uh, coped with the depression, I guess. Gross. Yeah. Ew. Ruth worked in London as an usher at a theater until she became pregnant at age 17 in 1944. The father of the child was a Canadian soldier who soon left London and gave up supporting Ruth and the child not long after. He sent money back for about a year and then mm. was just out of the picture entirely. Ruth sent the child, Andy, to live with her mother and worked several different jobs in order to send money back home. In the late 1940s, Ruth worked her way up to a hostess spot at a nightclub where she had to contend with a manager who liked to coerce his female employees into sleeping with him. Ugh. So that's when she's just, that's all her life. That's Yeah, so what... she went from creepy father to creepy boss criminal father to right. deadbeat dad of her child yeah. to, to creepy boss yeah <clears throat> and it's only just begun Ugh. Uh, ruth also did some nude modeling around this time to make ends meet and by the 1950s she'd become a high-end escort and would terminate a pregnancy after a rendezvous with a client yeah. so she's had one child and aborted a second right in November of 1950, Ruth married George Ellis, a dentist, divorcee, alcoholic abuser who convinced himself that Ruth was seeing someone else behind his back. Hmm. Yeah. So, she first... Knew, right. Her first actual marriage isn't much different than the, the rest. The crap she's been dealing with anyway. Their on-and-off relationship came to a head when Ruth gave birth to Georgina Ellis in 1951. So... Third pregnancy, second mm -hmm. child. George denied the child being his and divorced Ruth before long, and he refused to give any kind of support. <laughs> he convinced himself, well, she's stepping yeah. out on me. Ruth, once again a single mother of a newborn, returned to escort work. Ruth caught a major break in 1953 when she landed the position of manager of a nightclub in Kent, and was able to stay in an apartment above the club. This allowed her to mingle with various celebrities and high society types, and of course brought new male suitors into her life. Mm -hmm. She met an amateur race car driver, driver an alcohol enthusiast, <laughs> uh, a boozer, named mm -hmm. David Blakely, and the pair quickly started a relationship. Blakely was engaged to another woman, but that didn't stop him from moving in with Ruth and even impregnating yeah. her. He's, so, yet again, yeah, a nice, decent man. Was not him. No. <laughs> <laughs> Has yet to been found in this episode. <laughs> yeah, every guy in this episode's a bit gross. Yeah. Even guys that really had nothing to do with Ruth directly. We'll get there. Mm. Ruth decided to terminate this pregnancy <laughs> as well, because she didn't feel the relationship was as serious as Blakely felt it was. So, in her mind, it was... Kind of a fling. Well, yeah, he's him, engaged to somebody else. Well, that doesn't bother him. He wants to be engaged to this woman, too, or instead. I don't know. Mm-mm. 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 So, fourth pregnancy, terminated. Two children And you know, already. back then, too, that's very hard on a woman's body anyway. Mm -hmm. But back then... Yeah, I don't think they were uh, as uh, advanced. No, so that's scary for her health as yes. well. <clears throat> Ruth began seeing another man, Desmond Cusson, great name, <laughs> during this time. 
He was a former Air Force pilot who became an accountant, and Ruth decided to move in with the successful cousin, but didn't end her more or less casual relationship with Blakely. So, she's She's now with someone who's, by all accounts, solid, Mm -hmm. but she's still seeing... Well, at this point, she has an affinity for it. Right. She's... Unfortunately, that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, the, It's hard to break the cycle. Yes. Yeah. You get in the rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blakely continued to see other people as well, but he still wanted to be with Ruth. His desire increasingly became violent, <clears throat> and Ruth sadly lost her fifth pregnancy when Blakely punched her in the stomach not long after she accepted a marriage proposal from him. <laughs> so she's living with Cousin. Still seeing Blakely. And you you got to spell that, because it sounds like you're saying living with her cousin. <laughs> well, we, we don't know. I know. No. no. Uh, Desmond Cousin, C-U-S-S-E-N. Yes. So, Just not, wanted to clarify. Not cousin. Right. Cousin. But she's living with Desmond. Right. <laughs> and still seeing Blakely. But engaged pregnant, to Blakely. Now accepts an engagement from Blakely. Who then causes her to miscarry her fifth pregnancy after he beat her up yet mm-hmm. again. And I don't know if there, if she had any certainty on if this was, was Cousin's ask. child yeah. or Blakely's child. I didn't yeah. see if there was a determination. Uh, on the evening of Easter Sunday of the same year, 1955, Ruth went looking for Blakely at his apartment. And arrived just in time to see his car pulling away. So they were engaged in January. Mm -hmm. And same time the miscarriage happened. Right. So now it's April. And she decides she's going to go find Blakely. She sees his car pulling away from the apartment. And she walked down to a nearby bar where she correctly suspected he would be. After all, he's an alcohol enthusiast. Right. Ruth waited outside for him, and at 9.30, he finally exited the bar, walking past her, or I'm sorry, the pub, walking past her as he made his way to his car. And from behind David Blakely, Ruth Ellis drew a thirty-eight caliber Smith & Wesson revolver, which she fired, missing the first shot. Hmm. As people do when there is gunfire, Blakely began to run, running around his car, trying to get away, as the second shot hit him, dropping him to the ground. Ruth then fired three more times while Blakely was down, including a contact shot into Ooh. his back. <clears throat> so, gun powder yeah. burns and all, less than yeah. an inch from his back. And then, for good measure, she fired the sixth and final round from the revolver, but that one missed, resulting in a ricochet off the street, striking a bystander's thumb. Some, <laughs> some poor woman who's watching this madness unfold gets a bullet in the thumb, or blown off. Right. At least that's all it was. Yeah. Yeah. Glad it didn't hit her anywhere else. Yeah. But before we get to the aftermath of Ruth Ellis' actions, we have a brief message for you from the National Investigative Training Academy. If you are looking for a career change or to expand your knowledge in an already established one, look no further than the National Investigative Training Academy. The National Investigative Training Academy, or NIDA, N-I-T-A, has well over 100 courses with 70 professional development ones alone. NIDA is constantly adding to their course catalog, and courses are focused on private investigation and security fields. 
Whether you would like to become a private investigator or you need continuing education for your investigative or security career, the National Investigative Training Academy is for you. All courses offered are 100% online and do at your own pace. Once completed, you will receive a certificate in that course. Sign up today at investigativeacademy.com. Make sure when you sign up for your courses, you mention we sent you there. We encourage you to get the best investigative and security training possible today. When you sign up, mention our brand ambassador code, BA2367. That's BA2367. And you can find those courses at investigativeacademy.com. Look for links in our show notes as well. After emptying her gun into David Blakely, Ruth returned to Clive Gunnell, Blakely's friend who was at the bar with him. Ruth asked Clive to call the police, but that wasn't necessary, as an off-duty policeman approached her and easily removed the gun from her hand, telling her, I am the police. To which Ruth replied, will you please arrest me? (laughs) The officer, of course, obliged. As Ruth stated, I am guilty, I'm a little confused. She was arrested and booked without innocent, calm throughout the process. She appeared in court the following day, where a judge ordered she be held until trial. (laughs) So she... She's... Murdered this man in the street, unloaded a gun on him, and just went, all right, I'm all done. Which, <laughs> no. I think she's having a nervous breakdown. I think so, but um, check this out. Okay. Prior to trial, she was examined by a court-appointed doctor who determined she was not suffering from a mental illness. A psychiatrist hired by her defense attorney reached the same conclusion as did a court-appointed psychiatrist. Hmm. So a doctor and two psychiatrists said, no, she's of sound mind. Oh, dear. But I don't think she was in the moment. No, I, that's, that's what I'm hard thinking. To determine. Well, that is hard to determine. But I'm thinking it's more of an in the moment. It doesn't excuse what she did. No, certainly not. But I'm thinking it, because she also had children. Yes. So yeah, she's got a ten-year-old and I think a three-year-old. Right. So a mother, you would think, would especially someone like her who's. She's ultimately alone. I'm sorry, but she is. You know, she's right. she's, she's in and out with men that don't really devote 100% of their time to her. They're harmful and <clears throat> yeah. abusive. So it seems like she would, like, even if she had that thought, well, but then she'd think of her children. So to me, not an excuse, but she probably wasn't of sound mind in that moment. Yes. And she probably, when she said, I'm a little confused, she probably was... Uh, regaining a lot yeah. of clarity after that happened yeah and realizing oh i just did that yeah <clears throat> now as is sometimes the case in criminal trials defendants will alter their appearance to look weaker younger smaller mm-hmm. or less fortunate in the hopes of gaining sympathy from the jury right on sight right though ruth's attorneys tried to convince her to take steps such as these she arrived in court for her trial in june of 1955 as much a looker as ever, her hair bleached, styled, she wore a silk blouse under a black suit, <laughs> and Ruth looked less like an unfortunate woman driven to madness by the mistreatment of her lover, and more like a movie star. Hmm. Yeah. It kind of sounds like they're describing Marilyn Monroe. I know, that's so. what I was thinking. <laughs> the prosecutor, Christmas Humphreys, real name, <laughs> Christmas had only a single question for Ruth when she took the stand. He inquired what she intended to do when she held the gun to Blakely's back and fired while he was on the ground. Yeah, I know. So to me, 
to me, that's the one, like, that part. And then her unloading the rest. Mm-hmm. Like, up to then, she could have been like, well, I, you know, I wasn't shooting at him. You know, she could have made a plethora of excuses. You know, I... But when you have that with, a, like, a contact yeah, shot. she put the gun right to his back. And, and then there was the witness with the thumb. Yeah, so The poor you know, woman going, what's that noise? She ah. probably was pointing with her thumb. <laughs> gesturing. <laughs> Get a load of this. And then the tip of her thumb got blown off. Poor thing. Yeah. Uh, but the only question was what she intended right. to do when she held the gun to his back and fired while he was on the ground and Ruth responded it's obvious when I shot him I intended to kill him hmm. so again didn't deny yeah. anything didn't try to you know well yeah. I you know I just wanted to hurt him I didn't right. think that would kill not even Nothing. trying to not even pretending to be ignorant just no. well I was killing him yeah Ruth also explained that she came into possession of the firearm several years prior when a military serviceman, possibly a client, mm-hmm. gave it to her to cover a debt. And after 20 short minutes of deliberation, wow. Ruth was convicted by the jury and sentenced to death by the judge. Mm-hmm. Ruth's family attempted to have the conviction and sentence overturned, but Ruth didn't want any part of the appeal. Mm. So once again, yeah, she's, she's not, not looking for any leniency or any way to get off she's just kind of living with it right she told them please don't yeah don't write any letters there were still a lot of letters but her attorney in particular filed a lengthy letter asking for reprieve but the home secretary which i guess the u.s equivalent to that is like the secretary of the interior kind of thing okay but it sounds like in the uh, English justice system, yeah, they have more authority over courts and mm. such. Okay. So Home Secretary Gwilym, or Gwilym, yeah. Lloyd George, wouldn't budge on the sentence. Hmm. And 28-year-old mother of two, Ruth Ellis, was executed on the morning of July 13th, 1955. Wow. Just three months after the murder of David Blake. That all went fast. So she shot him on Easter and she was gone before mid-July. Right. Extremely quick. Over here, we wouldn't even have the trial for the first couple years in (laughs) something like that. Ruth's death sentence was a surprise as it wasn't common at the time for women to be sentenced to death. But the execution itself was even more surprising, because 90% of women sentenced to death during this time period received a reprieve. Mm. So it wasn't that they weren't sentencing women, it's just that when it actually came time to carry it out, there had been enough appeal or reprieve that they give them a lengthy prison term or life in prison. So she was one of the rare ones that actually faced execution. This fact, combined with the speed at which the execution execution was carried out, raised right. many questions about whether or not Ruth should have been hanged. Now, there was never any doubt that Ruth Ellis killed David Blakely. There were witnesses everywhere, including one missing a thumb now. Yes. And she never denied it. Mm-hmm. However, Home Secretary Lloyd George received criticism for executing Ellis before additional police inquiries could be completed. Hmm. Lloyd George maintained that sufficient inquiries were completed, all of which pointed to Ruth Ellis murdering David Blakely in cold blood unprovoked. Lloyd George added that the use of a firearm in the killing had in the killing, mm-hmm. having had injured 
an uninvolved passerby with her recklessness, and that Ruth was a woman of dubious sexual morals, mm-hmm. as she mothered children from different fathers and lived with and dated Desmond Cusson while dating and becoming engaged to David Blakely. All of this despite the fact that the judge in the trial ordered the jury not to consider such factors because this was a criminal trial and not a moral trial. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what you think of yeah. you know, women with multiple partners. You need to judge based on the facts. Yeah. But then the home secretary says, well, she was out of control with a gun. She hurt somebody who had nothing to do with it. And, you know, she was a little, uh, <clears throat> you know, and that's just gross. Yeah. That, that was part of his judgment as yeah. to why well, she wouldn't get a if, stay of I wonder if he was jealous. Or a client. <laughs> he may have uh, dabbled. We don't know. I, don't, I know. I'm just saying. It just seems so severe. And so he's either extremely conservative and just unforgiving. Mm-hmm. Or he right. has a personal connection. Right. He needs to keep up a facade. Mm-hmm. But yes. Or it was he, election year. True. He was, <laughs> he was looking for the votes. Now, while many people called this a crime of passion, English law didn't recognize such a defense for her actions due to a lack of immediacy. Mm. Although Blakely had been abusive in the past, Ellis wasn't in any danger of his abuse at the time of the shooting. He didn't right. even... She sought him. Right. She went to him. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know she was there no. until he was running from gunfire. He pro- he may not have even known then. That's true. He just started running. Yeah. And he was laying face down. Yeah. After the second shot hit him. So, yeah, he may not have even turned his head and seen who was shooting. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, she may have been motivated by the abuse, but she hadn't been abused any time close to the shooting. Right. Their last encounter was in January mm-hmm. when she miscarried. Now, compounding this matter, however, is Ruth's lifelong struggles with men and abuse, starting with her father, leading to her sexually manipulative boss... Then the drunken, violent first marriage, years of prostitution, finally troubles with Blakely. Mm -hmm. And some have argued that due to a lifetime of suffering at the hands of men who were never held accountable for how they treated her, Ruth was bound to snap at some point and was not in her right mind at the time of the murder. Yeah. So though the psychiatrist found she was of sound mind afterwards... Probably not in that moment. Right. I think... It all came crashing down. With all the... The pushing, she right. decided she was going to do something drastic, and then that was kind of behind her. Right. Again, doesn't make it okay. No. <clears throat> it's just, it's not an excuse for her behavior, it is an explanation. Right. And something like that, would that be, that lend itself more to a manslaughter charge, maybe? Possibly. First degree. But it it's sounds still like very, it was, there was premeditation. Gray, yeah, it's a still kind of a gray area. Right. Especially her unloading the gun. Yeah. And I I mean, she didn't really do much to participate in her own defense. No. She just accepted everything and flat out said, well, I was trying to kill him when I shot him. Right. But I think a better defense could have been crafted about her being out of her mind in the yeah. moment. But because she may, of, you know. But well, she may have not wanted that. Right. Yeah. She may not have wanted to. Yeah drudge up all that because then it would have been well tell us about your father right and your first husband mm-hmm. and this and that and your feelings towards men who mistreat right. you 
1956, a journalist covering the controversial execution interviewed Andy, Ruth's oldest child, who was 10 when his mother was hanged. Mm. Andy explained that the revolver used to kill Blakely was given to his mother by Desmond Cusson Mm. a week prior to the murder, and that Cusson took her shooting to teach her how to use it. That story contradicted Ruth's explanation of the gun and also implicated Cusson as an accessory. Yeah. So she initially said it was given to her by a client, a, a military client. serviceman who was a, while a client back. to cover a debt. Yeah. And the gun was a military issue mm-hmm. of the time, but Cusson was also retired Royal Air Force. Ah. So he may very well have had the same yeah. pistol at his disposal. <clears throat> Now, if Cousin did provide the gun and taught her how to use it, did he also encourage her to get rid of Blakely so that he didn't have to compete for her love? Possibly. Did Ruth lie about the origins of the gun to protect Cousin? If she was enticed to commit the murder, then Cousin should have been charged as a conspirator at a minimum, Mm -hmm. and Ruth may have received a lighter sentence or even a lesser charge Right. if she was kind of put up to it by Desmond. Now, the trouble with Andy's statement is that police hadn't interviewed him during the investigation. And while Cousin denied supplying the gun, due to the speed of the trial and execution, coupled with the denial of her attorney's appeal, those statements couldn't be confirmed or denied by Ruth herself. Right. They because she was already her. Right. She was already gone by the time this information came to light. Yeah. And that naturally left the public with even more questions as to whether the death penalty was appropriate here. Mm-hmm. Home Secretary Lloyd George, his response to this possibility was that if it's true, it showed even more premeditation on the part of Ruth because she had collaborated with another person a week ahead of time. But because there were no statements from Ruth about that, there was right. no evidence to implicate Cousin. So, no, but I mean, if it were true, he has a decent point. Yes. But we will never know. Right. Because it was, it was almost like they had too many people on the list, and they just needed right. To, they just need to get it done. You know, we, we need to open up some of these jail cells, so start yeah. killing. It was very quick. Yeah, it was a month after the trial. Mm-hmm. Due to public pressure following the execution of Ruth Ellis, the Homicide Act of 1957 greatly limited the use of the death penalty, and then the murder or the Abolition of the Death Penalty Act of 1965, abolished the death penalty in Great Britain outright. The last male execution in Britain was in 1964, and the last woman to be executed there was Ruth Alice in 1955. Wow. So, not just her case. There were other issues with possibly innocent people being hanged and so on. Mm-hmm. But the attention that Ruth Alice's case brought was one of the driving forces behind getting rid of the death penalty altogether. Right. Interesting. And it's weird that, well, she obviously murdered that guy mm-hmm. and wanted to and intended to. Right. But should she have been put to death with all the other factors that they just kind of brushed aside? Yeah, I don't know. That That is a hard one. Mm-hmm. It's I mean... a moral dilemma, but... Morals were not supposed to be a factor in the trial, just in yeah, upholding her sentence. But at to... the same time, I sometimes I feel like 
people's behavior mm-hmm. and a history of behavior somewhat explains actions, whether explains further guilt mm-hmm. or explains and you know possibly someone accused wrongfully in their innocence mm-hmm. or explains mental capacity at that time. Right. Now, if she had been put into a mental home, I mean, all the doctors said she was fine. But if she had, that might have been worse than death. True. Especially that era. Okay. But is it Broadmoor? Is that the I think famous so. asylum? Yeah. Across the pond. But I think I think there were too many gray areas for it to be deemed, you know. Put to death so quickly, too. Like, there was no other investigation. I mean, she... Now, what she did was not right. I'm not saying she was innocent. She was not. But it seems like there could have been some more explanation, a little more investigation. And then if they thought she should be put to death, Mm -hmm. then continue, you know? Right. And her lack of appeal, you know, that she didn't want it appealed at all. She didn't care, apparently. Issues like that are probably why here in the U.S., in places where we do still have the death penalty, I believe in all places, if not most, once there is a death penalty sentence given, Mm. the case is automatically appealed to a higher court. Regardless of automatically, and it's usually several times. Right. Usually several times. Right, and then yeah, it's automatically appealed, and then the defendant can file. Which, again, and that's another area that's gray because I feel like sometimes the death penalty doesn't really do anything anymore because they're there so long right? on death row. That sometimes they, you know, if, if the, if the outcome the court wanted was death Mm -hmm. and execution, well... They wait so long sometimes, and I understand it's from the appeal process. Right. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because then it just... It solidifies. It solidifies that this is where what needs to happen. Yeah, this is the but, guilty party, and this is the appropriate sentence. Right. But it also, I feel like sometimes it takes too long, and half of them, they are never executed. Because right. they just die yeah. in prison. Plenty of death row inmates and, just die of natural causes right. after decades in prison. So they're still punished by prison, but... That's not the fullest extent of the law no. that was intended to be applied to them. Right. And I think some of them don't mind the death penalty, like, being sentenced with that initially because there are so many appeals. Right. Because Where they, other they sentencing, know they can prolong it for a yeah, very long time. With other sentencing, well, <clears throat> life in prison. And then sometimes they have a possibility of parole. Right. But you're but, serving life But you're life serving life. Time. The death penalty could be taken away. Right. So I don't I don't know. I'm not I'm not against the death penalty when it is necessary. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's a little bit broken. Yeah. We also yeah, we it's kind of aggravating that well if we have that in the in place, mm. it doesn't make sense to have someone 30 years waiting to be executed, but it, right. we also can't we also a, can't a Ruth pull Ellis. a Ruth Ellis because that was that was way too oh, well, quick. She killed the guy yesterday, so just that's hang way her in the park. Right, that's too way week. too fast. <clears throat> right, and especially that 
when it came to the gun, they mm-hmm. didn't really do a whole lot of digging around. I no. Mean, they took her at her word, which is what she wanted. Yeah. But you got to look a little deeper than that just to be safe. Because right. people lie, people cover for other people. Yeah. Sometimes it's cut and dry and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's very convoluted. Mm-hmm. And somebody else is the master behind it. And sometimes maybe it was just her and yeah, she just she snapped. She remembered, you know, I've got that gun in the back of the closet and that guy's treated me poorly. I'm just going to go take care of him. Mm-hmm. But we won't really know for sure if right. she was put up to it, manipulated by yet another man in her life, or if she right. decided that it would be worth whatever consequence to yeah. go ahead and just kill him. And two kids grew up without a mother because of it. Yeah. Well, then that kind of makes me wonder, too, did if, just if, Cussin put her up to it, did he tell her... Did he either threaten her, or did he tell her he would take care of the kids? Right. You know? Right. I mean, that's thinking outside the box. But people, I've learned, especially in this line of work, people, it never ceases to amaze me what people will do or their their quote-unquote logic for Mm -hmm. things. Right. When they get in a bind, what Mm -hmm. they're willing to trade off with. Right. Mm -hmm. But it is sad. I mean... She was not in the right, but her life was just terribly tragic. Yeah, it was and, turmoil, and, and she eventually is, reacted to it. Right, and it and was it's, way too much. Yeah, and it yeah, her reaction was too much, and then the fact that it was all done so done and over so quickly is a little <clears throat> worrisome. So yeah. that's it. Doesn't surprise me that they changed their rulings mm-hmm. because of that case. Yeah, that and then especially then too hanging. We're not talking about quick injection. Right. We're talking about a hanging. Yeah. You know. About in like a public square. Yeah. Which is nuts to think of today. Especially in that age, that era. Yeah, it's the 1950s. This wasn't the 1800s. They flat out hung a woman to death in Mm -hmm. front of a crowd. And then a couple months later realized. "Eh, That might not have been a good move. Yeah, she might not have been the only guilty party here. Right. Well, it's sure interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. And we thank you for joining us. Yes. We hope you had a great time listening to that awful story. <laughs> Maybe next time we'll do something different. Still some kind of crime podcast, but... Yeah. Maybe we'll lighten the mood as we approach the holiday season. Yeah, we've had a lot of really d- dark ones lately, but they've been interesting to me because they're ones I've never heard about. Right. And the historical implications of this one, yes. at least for Great Britain, Yeah. pretty massive. Yeah. So... Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Please sign the crime scene log on your way out. And so long.